Duncan is a self-described workaholic. It's a family thing. His brothers, his dad, it runs deep. Now his wife, Sue Duncan, relishes the idea of taking a vacation every now and then, but trying to convince a workaholic to skip work and pour some of that hard-earned cash that he's ferreted away out for a vacation, well, that requires the tactics of a top-earning vacuum salesperson. But Sue did find a way to accomplish her goal. And as you can imagine, it had something to do with a motorcycle. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Brian Field. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Bayer. Jim Hart. Liz Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Okay. Right. So, I am Sue Duncan, living in Cambridge, New Zealand, and I'm a midwife. And uh, I'm Graham Duncan. I do building maintenance and repairs, and I live in the same place as Sue does. Graham and Sue, it's great to meet you both. Thank you. Likewise. Yeah. And of course, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Great to have you on the show. Oh, we quite enjoy listening to the podcasts. Oh, very nice. That's always handy, isn't it? <laughs> now, you, Sue, yeah. you, you said you're a midwife. That to me is, yep. is very interesting. What do you do as a midwife? Um, well, in New Zealand, we have quite a different setup to most of the rest of the world. So for a few years, I was a community midwife, which means I have all my own patients, well, women, clients. And I looked after them for the entire pregnancy, from the minute they got pregnant to six weeks after they had a baby, and I did everything. Hardly the minute they got pregnant. And, the, and if they didn't have any complications, they didn't see a doctor, I was able to do everything involved. Now I work at the hospital and um, work with the more complex women in antenatal clinics. So, um, yeah. Wow, very interesting. That's a big responsibility, right, from start to finish. So you deliver the baby and everything. Yes. Yep. Order scans, do bloods, make decisions about whether they need to be seeing somebody more. Um, yeah. 
and we do the whole thing right through to the six weeks after a baby's born. How many babies have you delivered? Well, that's a hard question. Um, <laughs> really? I did my first year, I did 50, I had 50 private clients. So um, delivered 50 odd babies that first year and I've been a midwife for 12 years. Oh, wow. So you, you've had tons. A few so, hundred. So do you walk down the road and have, you know, people, kids, younger people come yes. up to you and say, hey. <laughs> yep. And I've done for some family, looked after family members. So some of them have had three babies with me and I've got other families where I've had three babies and I'll go to the supermarket and people will stop and chat. And I'm like, oh, I know I was your midwife, but that's, I don't remember you specifically, <laughs> but they remember me. Wow. <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing at times. Now, now you're both um, motorcycle riders as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Why did you hesitate? <laughs> well, um, well, Sue was the original rider between us. She she's ridden since she was nineteen. Nineteen first had a license, and um, I used her bike when we first met to go and get my license back when we were uh, I was early twenties. We were yeah. both early twenties, and um, so we've had our licenses for a long time, but we haven't really done motorcycling until probably the last. 10 years. It's been an on and off relationship with motorbikes. <laughs> mm, well, that's kind of common though, isn't it? But Sue, at 19, yeah. why'd you get your, your license then? Oh, because I came back from Australia. Um, we'd been living there for a bit. And my dad, prior to that, had had a little mopedy thing that I'd flung around the section a few times and I needed a transport. So the motorbike was the cheapest, easiest option. So that's what I got. And when I think about it now, it was a 125 originally. And I used to ride from my house to my parents' house, which was about a two and a half hour trip in my um, my absolutely not safe motorcycling equipment <laughs> in the rain. And one day I was going over a big hill on my way to their place and the bike, I could have walked up the hill faster than the bike took me. So I turned around, went back, bought a bigger bike, rang my dad and said, I'm going to be a bit delayed. I'm on my way and turned up on a bigger bike, which was only a 200, but it was still bigger for me. So it was just a more convenient transport. And Graham, uh, why did you get your license? Um, because she had a bike that I could use at the time. <laughs> and so that, that was it. I, I didn't own a bike, had no real intention at that time of um, becoming a motorcyclist or using a motorbike. And I didn't ride a motorbike again until I had her little, uh, she had a little Suzuki FA50, which I used to commute to work when I used to work in town. And um, it was only a couple of Ks and it, it was just great fun, but it was just a commuter and there was no real desire to go any further with it at that time. And then we had the farm bike. Then we had, well, then we had children as well. And <laughs> and, a farm and so we sold the, sold the scooter and, uh, life changed and we went on to work on a farm. I share milked for my parents on their farm, and um, which means we bought a herd of cows and but used their farm and their buildings. And so then our income was split 50-50% with um, myself being the owner of the cows and them being the parents. And so we had farm bikes and that was really where I enjoyed riding it 
And um, but there was still no intention of becoming a motorcyclist. It was just a means means to an end. Just a working tool. Transportation. You know, you start out as transportation. Yeah, yeah. on the farm. Yeah, it was it. good fun. You'd go out for a blast on a bike. It was great. That was it. And so it wasn't until um, I had a midlife crisis. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> But before the midlife crisis, I went back to Sydney to work, and I had a little Honda 110 scooter with a sidecar, and I used to ride around Sydney, and I had written on the back of my sidecar the Flying Kiwi, and people used to let me in. It was marvellous for getting around Sydney. <laughs> Everybody would like, what the heck, and let me in. Well, what do you mean <laughs> And so that kiwi? was my transport around Sydney. <laughs> Doesn't a Kiwi fly anyway? No, kiwis no, don't, fly. don't fly. That's oh. the whole thing. So kiwis don't fly. Kiwi is a bird, of course, that you have. Kiwi yeah. is a bird. It's yeah. a flightless bird, yeah. Not yeah. the fruit. Flightless, nocturnal, and doesn't like to be seen. Ah, the flying kiwi. Interesting. So a sidecar. So you, that sounds to me like even with you putting that on the back of the sidecar, that, that's a little bit more of love of the ride, I think, at that point, rather than just transportation, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think it was, yeah, probably just me wanting to be noticed, really. Because when you're riding a little bike like that around Sydney, you want to be seen because then people will move out of your way and won't try and run you over. Right. So there's want to be seen like on the road, but then there's want to be seen like park in front of Starbucks. You know, they're, they're different want to be seen. You know, it wasn't that sort of. Oh, know. I see. Yeah. But so no, but it was, it was just good fun and I got it cheap and it worked. It was good fun and it worked for me for doing what I needed to do. So to start with, for many years, it was really just convenience than anything else. And a lot of people start out riding when they're young and then end up dropping away from it, especially when you have family, yeah. even just for the, the sake of, of getting around. I mean, it's, it's tough to fit a family on a motorcycle. I know they do it, yeah. you know, in a lot of places in the, in the world, but you can't get away with it in, in other places. And I'm sure you couldn't get away with it there. And it's certainly not very practical, but tell me about this midlife crisis. <laughs> so that actually comes back to the family thing. So, had my midlife crisis, wanted another motorbike. So, bought a Honda Goldwing 1150? 1100. 1100 with a sidecar. And so, that was me on the front, Graham on the back, and our daughter, who has got special needs, in the sidecar. And that's, so, it was a family affair. Right. And this is, this is what you're driving around just for transportation, or is this for fun at this point? No, that ah. was for fun. Mm. Yeah, a bit more time on our hands, and so we, you know, wanted to explore a little more, and it worked well for a while. You just mentioned a daughter with special needs. What is that about? So yeah, we've got a our third child has um, got Down syndrome. She's now twenty five, and um, she so she came in the sidecar. Absolutely loved it. Had all the gear. She's right there with you. Yep. So yeah. And now she still will, uh, she's got all the gear, so she likes to go on the back with um, Graham sometimes. Now, especially if you mention there's a cafe at the end of the ride or in the middle of the ride, she'll be, she'll be up for it then. Very nice. So when does the idea of traveling on a motorcycle come into play? Oh, long time later. <laughs> I've never been one for going on holidays. I'm quite happy to stay at home. Um, I'm too tight and I don't like spending money. And but once we started motorcycling, um, Sue clipped on this idea that if we go on a motorbike, then I might be more inclined to want to go on holidays. And it worked well. 
worked tremendously well for us. Well, now why? why? Because it's less expensive? No, it's just the fun. I just want to go and ride. I'm not even worried about where I go, really. I just, just, it's just the enjoyment of riding. And I love it. So once we got into motorcycling properly, then, um, so after we got rid of the gold wing, I got arthritis and it was just too heavy and too hard. So we sold that and then Graham started getting, deciding he liked this motorcycling lark. So that's where we started it really. And I just went pillion from there on in till just recently. And, um, yeah, so I like dragging him off on holidays because I like holidays. But then once I could add motorcycling and it just made so much, made it so much easier for us to go, you know, to me to persuade him to go. This is an interesting motivation I don't think I've come across yet. So you <laughs> you decide to travel by motorcycle just to get your husband to go with you on vacation because he doesn't like going on vacation. Yeah. He'd rather stay home with yeah. the cows. That's it. Well, we're not even on the farm anymore. We're in town. But yes, that's it. That's how I get him to go on holiday now right. without argument. Graham, what does that say about you? <laughs> oh, I'm an easy, easy, um, you know, easily manipulated. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a pushover for a bike ride. Oh, yeah. Well, this will tell you. So in 2013, we did a 10-week car trip across the states so we went from new york to la across the top in winter in a car mm. and and into the, canada a little bit the three of us the three of us daughter. so us and our daughter and we got to after the trip and graham's like oh that was ridiculous that was way too long i never want to go on such a long trip again well our trip in 2019 was four months on a motorbike and he didn't want to come home <laughs> Yeah, I could have so, happily just carried on. He just carried, on. he could have carried on. So, you know, change the mode of transport, it's a whole different ball game. The, the car in the wintertime, is that because you messed up? You thought it was summertime in Canada because it was summertime no, no, no. for no, you guys? No, no. We wanted a white Christmas. Yeah, we wanted a white Christmas and there was no tourists. It's great traveling in winter when there's no tourists. Yeah. Niagara Falls, no tourists. Um, what's Mount Rushmore? There was about six people there. And we were three of them. <laughs> well, it's definitely yeah, off-season travel. It's a great way to do it. It doesn't work as well with a motorcycle, though. No, 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 no. But so we then followed that up a couple of years later with our first motorbike trip in 2015. And that was, we went from San Francisco up to Edmonton. And then we were going to travel through Canada for three weeks and back to San Francisco. But we had a bit of a disaster on that one. And then we went again the following year and did BC. And then that all just became such a good thing that then later on we decided to do our big trip. You said disaster. What, what, what happened there? Oh, health health <laughs> issue. Sue had a, um, a, what a, was it a bowel obstruction in Edmonton. Luckily, we were... We were at our son's place when it all happened. So we, our son was living in Edmonton at the time. And so we'd ridden up to their place about 10 days it took to get there. Everything was perfectly fine. And I got terribly ill, ended up in hospital, ended up in surgery. And Graham had to ride back from Edmonton back to San Francisco to return the bike. Oh, and then no. I just flew from Edmonton to meet him. So he did a whole trip. I did a half trip. Uh, was the bike a rental? Is that what you did? Yeah. Yeah, 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 we rented that. And um, where was your daughter? She didn't go on this. No, no, she didn't. No, once we got onto the motorcycling things, she gets left behind now. <laughs> uh, and is she fine with that? 
Yeah. yeah. She's in her own house. Um, she's got friends and flatmates, and um, that's what, one of the reasons we set it up like that, and it's great. She, we ring her, Skype her once a week, and have a chat, and she's good. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So you, you, when did you come up with the idea of, of the motorcycle, though, for vacation? Like, was that in this time period, or, or did we pass that already? Yeah. So that was that 2015 that trip, yeah. yeah, was the first time. And it was like trying to... Just trying something new. Yeah, we thought we'd give it a go and see what happened. And like it was, what, three weeks, wasn't it? Three weeks, yeah. And so that wasn't excessively long, um, you know, a bit of an experiment, see how if we had too much stuff or whether it was going to work with two of us on one bike. Mm-hmm. And whether I would like travelling that way. Were you guys um, like following, you know, any sort of motorcycle travel websites or anything like that, getting inspiration from that, or, or is this just something you decided no, to do? No. We probably had looked at some, but I wouldn't have said follow. You know, we'd been on YouTube and that sort of thing. And, yeah. And just to get a general gist of what we needed to take. and um, We're good at making things up as we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, that first trip, like we don't – we learnt after the first day not to plan too much because the first day we left San Francisco, uh, we went to the first car park and dropped and the dropped bike. And dropped the bike. <laughs> <laughs> so, is, this the, is this the rented bike? Yeah. 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 Oh, we only no. had it an hour. Oh, no. Yeah. In a packed car park overlooking San Francisco. Of course. Because it, it was a GS 1200 and I was used to our um, RT, BMW RT, and so I was used to getting on the RT and getting on the GS was quite different. So I went up and over like I was getting on a horse and just kept going over the other side. She missed the peg. Missed the peg completely. Then that toppled both of us. And luckily there was a busload of people right next to us. We had our helmets on so they couldn't see our red faces, but they helped pick us up. And then we got on and drove off very, very quickly. (laughs) It was quite... It was quite entertaining looking back, not so much at the time. <laughs> yeah, entertaining for them in, in particular. It's always the way, isn't it? And then you just want to get away from it as fast as you can be done yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad we had our helmets on. Yeah. Right. But um, after that, we'd arranged to meet someone for lunch. And we were expecting there to be, be there about lunchtime. Well, it was about 2 o'clock by the time we got there. And then our next stop was in Clear Lake. Lake. And we were going to meet them for dinner. Well, it wasn't till like half past nine, <laughs> ten o'clock when we actually turned up. It was a sudden realisation that it was quite a bit further we had to travel than what it looked on the map and then what we'd planned. And um, so after that, we just stopped planning too much just because we just found that it really didn't work very well. So what is the method then? You just get on the bike in the morning? Wing it. Winging it is mm. what we call it when you wing it. <laughs> right. So you get on the bike in the morning, you just see where you end up and then get accommodations? Uh, usually the day often before like yeah. or often the day before. So I've been banned from booking things now. Pre, I'm not allowed to pre-book anything except the flights and the first night's accommodation. And so we pretty much the night before decide where we think we might go the next day. And we often don't book accommodation till the next morning. Or maybe on the lunch, way, maybe lunchtime. Yeah, we'll sit there at lunch and try and figure out our next sort of accommodation. I'm quite happy just to roll into a town when I'm sort of feeling tired and think, okay, let's find a motel. Sue likes to have a little bit more um, planning. planning. That's really uncomfortable for her so, because 
yeah, we did get caught later on the trip where we couldn't find accommodation. But, yeah, so um, it became a compromise. Yeah. So, you know, lunchtime, afternoon, we'll sort of go on Airbnb or one of those sites and uh, find a motel or a place to stay and then we've only got maybe an hour further to ride at that point and we know we've got somewhere to stay without going in completely blind. Do you ever do any camping while you're out? Uh, not really, no, because we don't we, – we struggle to get our clothes and what we do need on, on a bike without camping gear. And so that's mm. not something we've done on those trips at all. It's all been cheap accommodation, a big variety of accommodation. I won't just say cheap. We've done a little bit of camping here at home, but it's only one or two nights. Sue, when I asked about camping, it sounded like you were about to laugh. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a huge fan of camping, <laughs> um, I must say. <laughs> I really do like a comfortable bed. And plus with two of us on the bike and then trying to fit everything, yeah, it just got too, it took me too far out of my comfort zone. Yeah, it's a bit of an art, isn't it, to, to get everything packed onto the motorcycle to begin with. But certainly when you're adding in camping gear and food and all of that stuff, it, yeah. it, you, you definitely need extra space with two people. There's no doubt. Um, but um, yeah. certainly doable. But yeah, if it's not your thing, then then that's just the, the mode that you travel in. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And even for like a lot of uh, campsites we've just been to in the last year locally, um, you know, they don't even have uh, drinking water. So you've got to take your water in with you. And, you know, that's just bulk and weight and everything else as well. So it takes a shine off it a little bit when you're going to too long or too far. So that was the, the trip you're talking about now. That was 2015? That was the first one, yep, when I ended up in hospital. But that obviously was a good trip because you went and did it again. Yes. Well, that's so right. 12 months later, we went back to redo the bits we didn't do. Because oh, the motorcycling yeah. and the accommodation and the packing wasn't an issue. That all went really well. It was just me that was the problem. Yeah. Mm. Now, are you, are you retired? Are you both retired? Is that how you can no. do this? No, we both work. Oh, so you just book time off? Well, I'm self-employed, so I've got a really good boss, and he just says, you take as long as you want, and that's what I do. Right. And uh, Sue is a – she works casual. When that 2015 trip, when I started at the hospital, I started as a casual, so I can, I'm pretty flexible. I can decide I don't want to work, mm. and we're in a very lucky position that we do okay, and so my income is mainly used for holidays. Wow. Nice. Yep. So after that trip, what, what did you decide to do? We got better <laughs> and then decided to go and do the bits we missed a year later. And how did that go? <laughs> go. Well, that funny story, though. We'd been on the plane half an hour. So when in 2015, I'd had all this acute pain and backwards and forwards to the hospital for three days before they figured out what was going on. So 2016, we'd been on the plane half an hour, and I got this. We hadn't even taxied out, right? We were only just sitting down. <laughs> and I got this terrible abdo abdominal pain, and Graham's oh. like, seriously, you have got to be kidding here. So I dosed myself up on some painkillers, and it went away after a little while, and we carried on and had our trip. But it was just like deja vu briefly. Oh, yeah. That's... And we hadn't even left the country. 
So, you, you, but you, so this vacation, this next one, you decide to come back to North America. Is, is North America sort of a, a destination for you guys? Oh, well, it was, we didn't get to see any of um, British Columbia at all. And so we'd been up through America and across towards um, Spokane, Spokane and, then, yeah. and then up north to Edmonton. And then the plan was we were going to come back through BC, which we Sue didn't get to do. I got fleeting visit, but I wasn't in holiday mode then. And um, so we went back and did British Columbia, and we really enjoy that. It's it's a great place to go. Very nice scenery, great people, and you know it's it's. I haven't got anything negative to say about it at all. Um, and for initial forays into motorcycle travel, going somewhere where People speak the same language and culturally are probably a lot closer and we don't need to go to tour companies and things like that. It was a good starting point for Mm -hmm. getting the hang of what we wanted to do and deciding if that's how we wanted to do things. Plus there was lots of places to see. Yeah, and, you know, stunning scenery. Yeah, there's so much to see in British Columbia. I mean, there's all kinds of routes and and certainly lots of mountains and things. I I guess it's kind of sort of similar to where you live in, in New Zealand. Yeah, it, it is. Um, you've got bigger mountains over there and more snow. Mm-hmm. But um, but if we were home, we wouldn't be taking that time to go and dedicate a month or whatever the case is. We would only be away from home for a couple of weeks probably mm-hmm. because we're not going a long distance. You just don't go for that extended time or we're not inclined to go for that extended time, whereas – you make that commitment. You travel overseas. You make the most. Of you make the most of that time while you're there. Sure. Although and- I have to say that's another compromise we've had to come up with with motorbiking that's refined as we've gone along. Graham is all about the ride, and I'm about the destination. Ah. Oh. So I found it quite difficult to start with that we just seem to ride all day, end up somewhere, sleep, and get on the bike and carry on the next day. I never got to do things or see things. And so that's been something we've had to refine as we've gone along, that we will stop occasionally and do things and see things instead of he's happy just to ride and just whatever we see on the ride is all we get to see. So that's been something that's had to you know, evolve over the trips. Yeah, that's a tough one to deal with, isn't it? Because that is two completely different ways of traveling. And I, I think I'm more like Graham I like to get on and ride. I mean, I, I just love the ride. So, I mean, I can ride for the, the, I can ride for a lot of hours and be quite happy and just camp somewhere and, and get up the next morning and head off again. That's my style. But so th- that's got to be a little difficult though, to split that up because those long days in the saddle must kind of get to you, Sue. Oh, yes. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They get to her. She, she gets you know, bored and maybe feeling that she's missing out. So you've got to slow down a bit. Mm-hmm. not go so far and just chill and relax a bit more and enjoy those areas where you stay. And we're getting a lot better at that. It's a work in progress. <laughs> How do you do it though? I tell them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this place, we need to stay here for a couple of days or I'm over this. I need to just stay in one place for a few days and um, cook dinner, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, amazingly, I would actually like to stop and cook dinner for a few days in the middle of a trip because I miss it. But it's just, I just, or there might be a certain place that we go to that um, 
there's things I want to see there. I want to go and see the touristy stuff. So we stay there for a few days, whereas before we wouldn't do that. We would ride through and give it a brief look. And like Lake Louise, on our second trip, we went to Lake Louise for all of 10 minutes. Hmm. So... You might, yeah. you might add she was freezing and keen to go back to the motel. Yeah, but and we prior to that, we met our son and daughter-in-law at Moraine Lake just by there, mm-hmm. and so we'd met them and spent maybe an, an hour and a half there, and then we rode to Lake Louise, spent 10 minutes, and then we carried on again. But quite often that's how our day would go. We might get to somewhere, stop for a lunch break, go for an hour's walk, and that was it. Then we'd get on the bike and carry on. And that was all I was getting to see of places. So now I, I just tell them that, you know, I want to stay here for the night or two nights or I want to do this. And most of the time we manage, it's, yeah, getting a lot better. How much more do you need to see? I mean, you stand for 10 minutes, you look, you grab a postcard, <laughs> done. <laughs> so oh, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> No, it's uh, no. I get it. Lake Louise. That's one of those destinations that people love to stay at. Of course, there's, I think there's just a big, expensive uh, hotel to stay at there. Absolutely yeah. right. Jim. Oh yeah, and you know that was. But you know, people would say, "Oh wow, you only spent ten minutes there." Well, actually, in that particular situation, yes, ten minutes was enough. But if it had been a nice, warm, sunny day, and we wanted to go for a hike or something like that, then that just wouldn't have happened. So when you're traveling around on your motorcycle, is it, um, is it about scenery or, or is, is there um, is some interest in, in culture and seeing, you know, what's different in Canada or, or, or in the States, wherever you're, you're traveling through? All of the above. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people, meeting people, seeing what's there, seeing um, a place that's just different to what we are, we've got. How do you meet people if you're just riding, you know, from sort of hotel to hotel? I'll let Graham answer that one. Generally, where we stay. Petrol stations. Oh, yeah. Petrol stations. I find the American people and the Canadians seem to look at number plates. Now, I've never really done that, but obviously, you've got different plates associated with the states and the provinces Mm -hmm. that you are in. And people would just come up and say, Oh, you're a long way from home. And uh, because we had British Columbia plates on the bike. On that last trip. Yeah. And um, it, it just, you can pull up at a gas station and people will just come and talk to you about where you're from and because you're not from around there, they can just tell that. And um, if I'd go away from the bike, there would be all these guys that would come <laughs> over and they'd start talking to Sue because there was a woman <laughs> and a motorbike and that seemed to have some sort of connection. <laughs> and I'll tell you now, like I'm nearly 60 and I am not – I'm not anything um, to look at. Oh, you're too but, hard on yourself. <laughs> but they would come and talk to me, and um, yeah, quite random. And it, but it, yeah, people would see the number plate, and they'd start with that, and then we'd open our mouths, and they'd hear our accent, and then it was just all on, you know, and it was just all over the place. People would ask us questions and have a chat, and it was great. Check if we were carrying a gun with us for our own safety and <laughs> basic things like that that all Americans do. <laughs> it is the great thing about uh, it's interesting you mentioned about plates, people spotting plates because uh, not everybody does. There, but there seems to be, I guess, some of us who are interested in that. I spot plates all the time. I mean, the, I, I don't think one gets by me. At least that's what I imagine. Anyway, it's just interesting, you know. And, and I always am curious. 
Although with cars, you don't really ask, but certainly with motorcycles, yeah, it's, it's worth the chat. It's worth to find out, uh, you know, what, what they're doing and where they're going, et cetera. So right. you know, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And the further away from Canada we got through the States on the last trip, the more people asked because we were so far away. Yeah. Do, do you rent a bike each time? Is that, is that your, your, the way you travel? You don't ship your bike? The so, first two times we rented. Yeah. And the third time we bought one, bought it online. Um, in Kelowna. From a dealer in Kelowna. We bought a Kawasaki Versi 1000. It was secondhand. Uh, it had done, I don't know, 30,000 Ks, for example, and um, it had the crash bars on it. It had luggage. It had the basic stuff that we needed, and we just um, took it from there. So we still own that bike. That's in England at the moment. Okay, so, so hang so on to that. That was, that. That I, was I, the big I, trip. I want to talk about that, but but on this trip here, before the big trip, uh, so obviously things went well. You, you worked out some bugs. You, you worked out your, your mode yep. of travel yeah. and the way you went, and, and that sort of set yep. you up to do a big trip. Yes. We're going to take a quick break. I've got a couple of things to tell you, but one story that I, that I just have to tell you. Um, anyway, when we come back, we've got a lot more. We're going to dig into the motivation for the trip and um, sort of their, their rethink of things that, that put them on the road. Stay with us. tell you just a quick little story that's been told to me that deep in the mountains of New Zealand are some of the wettest and most uncomfortable weather conditions that you can find anywhere. And there's only a few animals known to survive there, mammals that are known to survive there. And that's the Merino wool donkey. The Merino wool donkey is almost always warm and dry because it's, it's fur is, it's the best around. Well, almost because on the other side of the mountains opposite to where the Merino wool donkey lives this other animal lives in, a, some say, even worse weather conditions, and that's the jumping possum buffalo. Now, the jumping possum buffalo can withstand weather so miserable. They say that scientists have been unable to measure it because it's just too uncomfortable to measure, to get up there and actually measure. Anyway, one day, a lone mountain man came upon a tree that had been used as a scratching post by a merino wool donkey. Now, apparently that is, you know, very common. The merino wool donkey always uses scratching posts. As a matter of fact, that's why that mountain man was there that day to collect some of that precious wool so he can make himself some clothes. But that day, something was different. There was two kinds of fur on the scratching post. And after the mountain man looked at it for a while, he realized that it had been used by a merino wool donkey. Of course, that's what he expected. That's what he wanted. But it had also been used by a jumping possum buffalo. Well, the mountain man had never known a jumping possum buffalo to scratch on a scratching post, but he didn't hesitate. He grabbed the fur from both animals and ran back to his apartment. And there he decided to use that combination of merino wool from the, from the merino wool donkey and the possum fur from the jumping possum buffalo to knit into a pair of socks. And when those socks were done, the mountain man put them on. He went back into the mountains. And as the legend goes, those socks were so warm that he took off all his clothes, and for years he was seen walking naked at all hours of the day and the night and in all weather conditions because his socks were so warm. And that's how Pearlie's Possum Socks got started. Now, okay, you may think that some of this story may sound fabricated. Maybe. Maybe parts of it are. But the part that's true is that Pearlie's Possum Socks are the best cold-weather socks that you can get 
period. And if it wasn't for ATGAT, very likely motorcyclists wearing Pearly's Possum Socks would not wear anything else but their socks. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is their website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. I don't want you to get excited about the fact that IMS Products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs, or that they're all made with cast certified 17-4 stainless steel, or that they've all been through a certified heat treating process, or even that they're all built in the USA. What I do want you to get excited about is what IMS Products foot pegs will do for you as a rider when you're riding. Like how the added traction and leverage of the IMS peg will increase your ability to control your motorcycle. The added leverage of the oversized peg combined with just the right amount of teeth on that peg to suit your riding style will keep you better connected to your bike. And then through the durability of the materials, their warranty, and even their looks, you've got an amazing thing on your motorcycle. IMSproducts.com is their website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Well, well, let's step back to your, your decision to travel on this last trip, because that's, that's your big yep. trip. You guys went back home on that, after you finished that trip, everything was fine. You get home, what happens? Well, we did back to normal life for a few months and then discovered that I had ovarian cancer. Wow. Which is what had the pain had been on the, on the trip, the flight over had been caused by that. So, yep, so I ended up in January 17. So it was only five months later that I, it was discovered I had ovarian cancer. So then we had to go down that road with surgery and chemo and all those fun sorts of things. Now, when you, when you get diagnosed with this, is this a good prognosis? Um, it wasn't at the, originally it got staged higher, um, at a higher level than what it ended up being because there were some unknowns in there. So it was, um, stage three, it was staged at three or stage four borderline there. So, which was, you know, it was, we were positive about it. So we went into it being everything positive. And then later on it was found that some of the things that they thought potentially might have been um, cancer were not. So it all got staged back to stage two, which was excellent, of course. And that so, was um, 14 months of, of surgeries and chemo? Yep. Yeah. Well, I was off work for 14 months. So I had five months of chemo, um, two lots of surgery with all that, and then recovery time. And so – into 2018, that's when we sort of sat down and thought, well, okay, maybe we need to start thinking about having a bit more fun in life and doing something a bit more and having a big trip. And we built a house to started building the house for our daughter at the same time. So you go off on chemo and off work, you come up with all sorts of exciting things. You adjust <laughs> your priorities in life. You have time, time to think about all sorts of stuff. And so it was, became a very busy year. So what, what do you mean? You, you, you were working too much? You felt you were working too much? You, you, or, or did it just make you think about, you know, the fact that none of us know how long we've got and sort yeah. of you want to squeeze some more out of it? And especially for Graham, he, he comes from a workaholic family mm-hmm. and he is, um, he's quite happy to, you know, not go on holidays and just stay home and work and do stuff like that. So I've managed to work on that a little bit over the years, but he's still, but so it was a good opportunity for us to 
reassess those values and figure out that well actually we we do have an end coming at some point and we've had a bit of a peek at it and we need to get on and do some other things so that year um, well that 14 months became a reassessment time of yeah and and I was you know I was bored I had lots of things to plan Mm, as you're sitting around the the mind starts to go right yeah, yeah, start, designed start a holiday. Invent things, right? Yeah, designed a holiday, designed a house, got all that bit process started. Yeah. So was, <laughs> you, yeah. you might be able to tell from the conversation that she is the organizer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did pick that up, but, but Graham, you, so you, you're coming from this workaholic background. What, what like talk about workaholic? Oh, workaholic, that's easy. That's when you go to work and your priority is paying the bills and um, trying to make your retirement easier by not having that debt. And so you go to work most of the time. So it's like you've become sort of obsessed with, with making money and paying things off. That, that's Is that what drives you to be a workaholic? Yep. yep. He doesn't yep. like owing money for anything, which is, which is fine, but his whole family is sort of a bit that way. His brothers work all God's given hours at the time and, and it had negative effects for them. So, you know, it's making sure that he, Graham doesn't go the same way. Your, your dad, the same thing, Graham? Oh, yep. Yep. They were all farmers and, you know, it didn't matter which day it was, generally there was something to be done. And so you went and did it. See, the workaholic thing I, I always have a little trouble with because, you know, I might be described as a workaholic because I'll work very long hours. And I don't mind it. It doesn't bother me. But I think the thing is, I like it. I actually like to do what I'm doing. And I often think of that when when people say workaholic. But I know that you can get so caught up in something that, um, like, like I remember, you know, years ago we had a publishing company, and and it was everything to me. It was it was my my it was just my whole world, you know, and I thought it was so important in life. And, and afterwards, when you're not doing it anymore, you realize that, wow, all that time I spent thinking this was so important really didn't mean that much. So, so maybe that's, that's sort of what you're talking about when you're, you know, you're looking at things Uh, and reassessing. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, that's, you're just a a small cog and a big wheel. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. And it's that work, probably it's more that he had a skewed work-life balance. Does that sound better? Mm -hmm. Rather than being a workaholic, it wasn't a, it was a skewed work-life balance. Right, right. And I needed to help him straighten it up a bit. (laughs) And did Graham also have some heart problems? Yeah, that was um, our first, no, that the trip we did in 2013 with Courtney, we ended up, we had a week in Las Vegas and our, our, one of our sons and his girlfriend had arrived for Christmas and they got engaged on New Year's Eve in Las Vegas. Hmm. And, but the next day, or next day, New Year's Day, I think it was, mm-hmm. they were going to go um, skydiving. My daughter-in-law had worked herself up for this and then Graham got out of bed and collapsed on the floor, whacked his head. Injured and my back. Injured his back. So we had to call everybody out and he went to the hospital and he'd had a um, he'd ended up fracturing one of his vertebrae when he fell down his head turned out to be the least of the problems. And um, his heart, he had an arrhythmia with his heart. So they sorted all that out. And now he's 
it gave us a hell of a pride at the time. And it's and just the, his heart does funny things every so often, palpitations and stuff like that. So he's on medication for that. But yeah, so that was in Las Vegas. He decided to do that. Mm, so that, that was even before you were diagnosed with ovarian cancer, I see. Yeah. Oh, that was too, yeah, way yeah. back. That was in our car trip. Oh, so you, you got these, yeah, I mean, you, you've definitely got some um, some uh, wake-up calls, I guess, that, that make you yeah. look at things and, and decide that you want to do something else. So what exactly was the plan? What, with the last trip? Yeah. So the plan was we bought a bike. Graham decided that he would buy a Versi because he liked the look of the Versis, and it was a good opportunity to try one out. If he didn't like it, we could sell it. We hadn't lost anything. If he did like it, we could keep it, bring it home, sell it, do whatever he liked. So that's why that particular choice was because it was a good opportunity to try one. And then I was allowed to book the flights and I was allowed to book the first night. Accommodation. <laughs> Although I got two nights, actually. I got the first night in Vancouver and then the second night in Kelowna, which turned into a, another a great start to our trip. That and, one. and are you feeling fine at this point? Are, are you fully recovered? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So the idea was you, you fly into Canada and you, and you buy a motorcycle here. How do you handle the insurance and, and licensing and all that when you're from another country? Well, we, uh, when, we when we initially bought it, we spoke to the dealer and um, asked him and he reassured us that it would be not a problem. He said he'd done it with um, other travellers. You'd be able to get insurance easy enough. And it wasn't a problem. The, we uh, arrived, it was on a public holiday. No, it was just a Monday and they close on a Sunday and a Monday. Yeah, that's right. So he came in on his day off and um, opened up the shop so that we could pick up the bike. The lady from the insurance or the registration office came down to the bike shop and did it all on site and we paid what seemed like quite a large amount of money <laughs> for insurance yeah. and the registration and the plate and off we went. Yep. And that was it. Done and dusted. So now you're on your own bike, which certainly gives you some more freedom, doesn't it? You don't have to worry yep. as, as much about it. Uh, and the plan was to be how long? We were going to be about two months in Canada in the U.S. So North America, yeah. Yeah, North America. Um, and then we were going to fly the bike to the U.K. and spend two months over there because we've been to North America several times before and so we think probably we've seen enough of that and there's <laughs> a lot of other world to go and visit. Mm -hmm. And so we uh, went through Motorcycle Express for the shipping of the bike and – but that, that part was wasn't, yeah. But that part wasn't planned to the planning stage. We had spoken to them. We had no idea how long we were going to be in the states at that stage. We said it could be a month, it could be three months. So we didn't actually know when we were going to fly out. So that was not booked until about a week or two before we actually got to that point. Yeah. Don't they fly you out of Canada anyway? Yeah, yes. out of Toronto. So yeah. we had to, we knew that we just would work our way, go to all the places we wanted to go, and we just had to give them two weeks' notice. So we we gave them the absolute least amount we could possibly manage. 
So talk about riding the verses around, on at least in North America. What was that like? It was nice. It was a good bike. Yeah. Um, I've got a BMW RT1150 at home, and I've got a Kawasaki KLR650 at home. It was certainly no more or less comfortable than any of those bikes. Um, it went great. I would happily, yeah, get another one easily. Well, we had. <laughs> you still have it. <laughs> yeah. And we came home and bought another one, yeah. a 650, a version oh, 650. So. Right. So, so it, it, that's the older one, the 650 is a newer it's, version. It's still pretty much the same. Um, cosmetically, it looks uh, slightly better, but, you know, it's mechanically, it's not much different. Right. Apart from two cylinders missing. Um, but yeah, no, it was a good bike. I've no qualms about buying that bike. It went reliably. We put on a set of chain and sprockets, and that's the only work we did on it. Well, where'd you go? We went north to Alaska uh-huh. <laughs> first. <laughs> so that was it. We went right up to the Arctic Circle. So we went right up through Alaska to um, Dawson City and then up through um, – we stayed at the Yukon River Camp and went up to the Arctic Circle sign so that we could say we did it. We didn't go right up the Dalton Highway to the end. We just did as far as the Arctic Circle sign, took our photos and came back and then went sort of – Fought off all the midges and mosquitoes yeah. that were up there. And then um, came back down through Haynes, which is where the first place we ever had problems with accommodation. Um, and then back out through Skagway, we ferried across to Skagway and then down to Prince Rupert and then took the ferry through the inside passage which was just fabulous because that cost us $500 for two of us and a motorbike and we got a cabin and 16 hours and you pay thousands to go on a cruise through the same inside passage. <laughs> oh, you thought it was a good deal. I, I know every time I oh, look at yeah. it, I think, are you kidding me? I'm not paying that much money to get the ferry, <laughs> especially because we lived on an island where you take the ferry to go to town. So the ferry is, you know, quite a pain in the butt, really, for us oh, when, you, when you get used to riding it every day. But uh, and and every time I look at the ferry going up, going north, uh, I think I'm not paying that much money. That's just too much money. Oh, we thought it was cheap. We thought it was so good. <laughs> I, I guess I'm just looking at it wrong. <laughs> just think of it compared with going on a cruise through the inside passage. Yeah, but I wouldn't take a cruise through the inside passage. That's the thing. <laughs> no, neither would we, but the ferry did it. <laughs> That's in your backyard. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but we achieved what we wanted to achieve. And you ran rode down through Vancouver Island right past our door. Yes. What did you think of Vancouver Island? Loved it. Really we, nice place. Really nice riding. Did a forestry road. Yeah, not too busy. We saw lots of wildlife along the way too. Uh, yeah, what in, on Vancouver Island? Uh, no, not so much there. More Yukon uh, and Alaska. Oh right, Yukon yeah. saw plenty of bears, heaps of bears actually, um, and, and bison. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, see that's why that's why you should have camped. I mean, it's so much more fun to camp, and then you get real close up views of these animals like the bears. Yeah, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right so, outside your tent. <laughs> So where did you go after that? Um, so we went down through Vancouver. So we did the Alaska, down through Vancouver Island, into Washington, and, and then we went down and around the coast, down into Oregon. And Oregon's another lovely place for riding. Yeah. Yeah. Find it. Well, it suits my style anyway. But we didn't realize, because we live here, we and we've seen Oregon in the movies, 
we did not realize until the, our trip, the first trip, that Oregon is a state of two halves, really. We didn't, we thought it was all mountains and forests and all that stuff that's on the ocean, huh? And then you go over those mountains and it's not that at all. And so that was quite a shock the first time we went over the mountains and there was all this prairie and big canyons and flat stuff. We just did not know that that existed. Yeah, they're pretty lucky, aren't they? They've got a lot uh, a lot available in a short riding distance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What are you guys wearing for gear? Oh, we just took one suit each. Um, so we both have our normal riding suits. Um, if it gets cold, we're inclined to put our wet weather oversuit on. That worked well for keeping the wind off. And we just put layers underneath. In Alaska. Just normal, normal um, fabric yeah. gear, not leather. When we were in Alaska, the weather was really good there, but going through the Yukon was hideous at times. And I think at some points I had every single layer of piece of clothing I owned on the bike was on me under my gear, mm-hmm. which on the top of a mountain when it had been hailing and was snowing and you need to go to the toilet as a woman is incredibly difficult. Yeah, it's a lot to deal with, isn't it? A lot to take <laughs> off and put back on again. Yes. <laughs> Not to mention how cold you get when you have all your, your warm clothes off or down. Yes. And your thumb's sticking out. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, but that's all right. It was, you know, these things are quite entertaining afterwards. <laughs> and bear in mind, we try and keep off the main roads with all of this. We Everything is as back road as we can get, including gravel. How do you do that? Are you looking at them on a map? Are you following a GPS or... Oh, yeah, generally, certainly you planned out a little bit on you a map. You had an app, hey? And um, just either Google Maps or I use uh, scenic navigation. And um, you can just set it to more exciting roads rather than the fastest. Right, route. keep you off the because highways. Because the fastest route is off the, obviously the most boring as well. Yeah. And sitting on a freeway on a motorbike can be really boring. Yeah, I guess to each his own, but I mean, I, I agree with you. That's not, that's not how I want to travel. Yeah. You know, there's a curvy option, isn't there, or something, yeah. isn't it? A curvy, curvy, curvy yeah. option. So invariably he put the curvy option in. Mm. And, you know, just going through small towns, it's just more interesting. And, you know, you get to see different things that you don't normally see just on the freeway. What surprised you on the trip that you didn't expect? People talking to us all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just the volume? Um, like the, the number of people? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was frequent and it was great. Just the friendliness of the people. You know, we'd stop in a cafe and they'd hear our accent. So then they'd come and chat. We had one cafe where um, we were talking to the owner and his mum worked in there and she came and had a chat. And then he came and had a chat because he'd ridden a motorbike before. And, you know, this is in a busy cafe on a church Sunday in one of the southern states, and it was busy as anything. And, no, but he came over and sat and had a big chat. Did any of them lead to anything else? Like, like do these meetups lead anywhere? Do they take anywhere? Do you spend time with people? No, not really from there, no. Mm-hmm. It's just occasionally you get the odd tip on, oh, you should go down this road. When we were in Vancouver Island, there was a, an older chap who was living the motel and we pulled in there and uh, he was interested and he came over and he had a list for us the following day before we left of 
suggestions on where we should go and we should be doing go to this place here and and um, which we didn't actually take any on any of those things, but it was the you know the thought that he he given us all that stuff and all that information. Yeah. It was really nice. Um, and it got quite useful at times. We figured out that that's the best place to talk to is at petrol station, talk to people. And we were in a little town trying to figure out somewhere to have breakfast. And so we asked the paramedics at the petrol station. They were there for the fuel station. They were filling up. So who else would know where there was to eat around? Paramedics are bound to. So they told us, where this nice little cafe was. So we went and found this cafe in this little town in the middle of nowhere. And they were so excited to have Kiwi there. They um, asked if they could take our photo and put it on their Facebook page. <laughs> so now in Arkansas, uh, was Arkansas? Yep. Arkansas, there's this little cafe that's got our photo on their Facebook page. Wow, very nice. <laughs> Celebrities, <laughs> just from your country. Yeah, yeah sort of. <laughs> So you eventually uh, you carry on and and you're you're headed where? So we went to Mississippi, then headed up through Alabama. Then we headed over to the Blue Ridge Mountains. So we did Cherahala Highway, Blue Ridge Parkway, some of that. Tail of the Dragon because you have to. Then up through Pennsylvania to New York State to the Catskills where we were staying with some friends. Wow. And so you're coming up to this point to get your flight then, I guess. That's yes. right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So we did the our countdown. Yeah. And then up to Toronto. And so the bike was booked. We dropped it off. The guy, the customs guy came and did all his inspections and um, we left the luggage on it and we just had really an overnight bag. And then... Um, our helmets, we took our helmets with us, but we had very little luggage to carry ourselves. And then that was in the morning and in the afternoon we went and caught our plane and we were on the same plane as the bike. So we actually watched it being loaded on the plane. Nice. That's with Air Canada, I assume? Um, no, WestJet. WestJet, oh, you're with WestJet. Yeah, they do a program as well, a motorbike program. Mm-hmm. And so it flew to Gatwick in England and we arrived in the morning had a couple of hours sleep, then went and picked the bike back up again. And that easy. It's done. Yep. That easy. It really was easy. Yep. Yeah. That's, there's the huge advantage of flying over shipping it. Yep. Just the speed yep. at which you're, you're getting it. I mean, you know, it's so fast when you get to the airport. It, it, they, they want it out of there. So they tend to get you out fast. Whereas a port, I mean, you would have been a lot longer than that. Well, yep. that's right. Plus however long it takes the ship to travel. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And um, meanwhile, we're waiting around, not traveling for a week or two or however long it takes. So, yeah, we considered that it was well worth the the money we spent on doing that. So when was it you landed in the UK? Beginning of August. In what year? 19. Ah, pre-COVID. Yes, Yes, the year before COVID, thank goodness. Right, right. And and so what did you end up doing? What was the plan at that point? So we (laughs) were just, um, yeah, the same thing. We didn't... We had Sue has family in England, and um, we were catching up with them at, at some point. We didn't even plan that. So we ended up, the only plan we made at that point was that my aunt had died just as we were about to arrive in the UK, but she didn't get buried. Her funeral wasn't for a month, so we just had a month before we needed to get to that point. 
Um, we had some friends in South England and distant relations to, to visit. And so we headed down south to our first port of call was Hose. Yeah, near Brighton. Down there. Yeah. yeah. And so what we learned on the first day is the roads are very different in England than what they are in Canada in the US. <laughs> and you just don't go anywhere all that quickly. And we, for our first trip from London to Brighton, on Google Maps, it told us it was about 40 minutes, I think, from memory. And we thought, well, that's far too quick. We need to go a longer, more distant route than that. And so we then went on some less common roads, and they were lanes, just narrow lanes, single vehicle, whereas we had a car coming the opposite way with a caravan on the back. And so we had to pull off right off the road and lean the bike into the hedge and the stone wall to allow this car to go past. And so the, you don't go anywhere all that quickly when you're on these lanes. It's all slow. There's sometimes sheep on the road, and uh, it's it's very different. And so it just takes you a lot longer to go anywhere. Well, it took us all day in the end. By the time we did stop and look at things, it took us all day to go on what could have been a 40-minute trip. Your your plan here, you, you, so you're just planning on riding around the UK only? Well, Originally, the plan had been that we would try and do the UK and Europe. Well, it didn't take long in the UK for us to figure out we were never going to have time to go and do anything decent in Europe. So we just dropped the whole Europe idea and went right from the bottom of the UK to the top. So we did right up to the Orkney Isles. So we, yeah, things were, it was just so slow going anywhere. And there was so much more in England that I wanted to look at. Um, so much history there that so Graham had to slow down on that part as well. We were doing a lot more sightseeing and touristy stuff, so mm. we were not travelling very far. And you got to appreciate we did like 20, 20, over 20,000 Ks in the Americas and we did like 3,000 Ks in the UK <laughs> as a comparison Yeah, just and both in two months' time each. <laughs> you you learned really quickly. You just didn't go anywhere near as far. Mm-hmm. in those days. Right. So you ran out of time and you ended up storing your bike. So what was the what was the thought process there? You store it and you're going to come back and finish the trip? Yes. Yeah. So ran out of time as in that was when we were expecting to finish. But, um, so it's sitting in a family member's hey, barn at the moment mm-hmm. under a cover. And we were planning on going back this winter uh, shortly. But... Um, COVID sort of put the kibosh on that for a while until until future plans come along. Your bike is in England, England with a Canadian plate and insurance? At the moment, mm-hmm. so yep. the BC registration thing, which turned out to be such a bonus for us, is that the plate stays with the bike till you unregister it and register it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So until that point, is Canadian registration and it doesn't seem to matter where in the world you take it. It's the insurance that needs to be renewed every year. So we had our Canadian, our BC insurance. Once we got to England, we it's in the process of being registered to the UK. So in the meantime, it's fine because it's registered in Canada and the insurance has lapsed, the Canadian one has lapsed but we have taken out English insurance that is just for storage. So 
our cousin doesn't ride or my cousin doesn't ride, there's no point in having rider insurance till we eventually get back there. So we have just got an insurance for it being stored in the shed in the hay barn and um, he's in the process. We found we couldn't register it to us because we don't live there. So um, it's being registered to him as the holder of the bike. So he's not the owner. We're the paid-up owners. and oh, But we can do a registration as him being the holder of the bike. And oh. so when we go back, he'll just we'll just update the insurance and he will give us approval to ride the bike. And then when we eventually sell it, we get the money because we paid for it. Of course. So you don't, you're not paying import duty or anything like that because you shipped it. We have done that. Yes. Oh, we had that. to do oh. that because we were going, yeah. As but, soon as it landed, we had to pay VAT on it. Oh, you couldn't, you couldn't avoid that though, by keeping the Canadian registration. Yes, we could have, but, for that to have happened, it needed to go out of the country at least every six months. Oh, so right. if someone was going to take it to Europe to ride for a couple of weeks and bring it back, that was fine because it could have stayed on its Canadian registration. But because it was going to be staying in the country and not leaving for um, more than six months, then you have to change the registration and pay VAT and all that sort of thing. Oh, so, yeah, if we could have been going over and riding every you know, once or twice a year, it would have been fine. We could have left it as it was, which is what people do. But yeah. from here, that's just impossible. The insurance is a tricky thing. When you have to renew the insurance for British Columbia, you'd have to phone them up and, and get them to send you out a sticker because the, in BC, the sticker is associated with the insurance. So you yeah. you only get the sticker when you have the insurance and, and vice versa. Yeah. They come together. Yeah. So you'd have to get that bailed out. And then they're probably going to ask questions and say, are you still in British Columbia? And, and that's where things might fall apart. So it's it's a tricky yeah. one, isn't it? The whole registration yeah. thing. And yes. once we left the country, the insurance was no longer valid. Right. Yeah. We had we took out other insurance for riding in England. We had well, it covered it in America as well, didn't we? Yeah, it'll we cover you in out, North America. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, we had to sort out different insurance because mm. it only covered us for North America, the BC one. So your plan now is, you're at home, your plan now is to wait until things open up and, and head back out and continue on the trip. Yep. We may, um, we're quite possibly going to do a trip to Australia for then and go and do Western Australia and across the top. Um, oh, oh, so in the meantime, you're not giving up on motorcycle travel. You're you're hoping for the bubble to open up between Australia and New Zealand. It has. Yeah, it has we have up. a bubble now. Yep. Nice. We now have a no quarantine bubble going on. So you can go to Australia and, and do a good ride. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll go and do five or six weeks, something like that. Up, all the gravel roads up and across. And then maybe the year after, 2023, we might get to do Europe. And is that going to be a limited trip, or is it, do do you guys see yourself continuing this? We haven't we haven't planned that far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably be two or three months. Right, but but the travel by motorcycle. This isn't just one trip. I gather. Oh you, no, 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 no. It'll be until we're health wise incapable. Yeah, right. Probably. We've got lots of places we want to go. Oh yeah, we'd quite like to go and do South America and Vietnam. 
Well, it certainly sounds like a, a lot of fun and um, it's, it's quite an adventure. Nice that it just keeps going though. That's really good. You know, you're, it's not over for you. You're going to continue to go on and, and I, I guess buy bikes, rent bikes, do whatever it takes to take a vacation. Yeah. yeah. I think that because that trip worked so well and we didn't get a divorce through <laughs> it. Just about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it worked out so well that, you know, we're quite happy to go and do it again. Graham, Sue, thank you very much. It, it sounds like you've, you've got a wonderful thing going and, and it sounds like you're, you are sort of squeezing the, the juice out of life right now. I appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing your story. Well, we'll try. That's Thanks very right. much, Jim. Thank you. All the best. was Sue and Graham Duncan from Cambridge, New Zealand. Now they're home now, but as you heard, they will be back on the road soon to Australia and then eventually back to Europe to finish what they started here. We've got a link to their blog in the show notes for this episode on the Adventure Rider Radio website, adventureriderradio.com. want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and to you of course the listener thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey if you haven't done it already we would love to get a five star review from you wherever you find podcasts wherever you're listening pop in there and let other people know what you think of the show because that helps other people find us. If you're not doing it already as well, we'd love it if you if you consider supporting the show because it is built on a model of some advertising and listener support to make the whole thing work. So drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com and click on support. And while you're there, look at our raw show. That's the other show that we do that comes out once a month. Separate subscription you need for that one. Just subscribe anywhere you find uh, podcasts. And uh, there's a whole bunch of things on the website as far as show notes, etc. So drop by and have a look, adventureriderradio.com. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. And I will talk to you next week. This is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.